Thank you for listening to the South Bay Bible Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered family, and we want you to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. So stay tuned for this week's message. All right. Good morning, everyone. Everyone's still there. Everyone's still alive. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining our Sunday service here on Zoom online, and we are just grateful, grateful for you to join us to sacrifice your Sunday mornings. I know you could literally be doing anything else in your house right now, but we are just glad that you've made the time to come together, to worship together, and to hear from God's word. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you all for joining. So it's been a crazy week, huh? Here's a picture uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle of last Wednesday. Uh, there were the skies were orange. It was smoky. My car was covered in little pieces of ash everywhere. Um, and because of this orange sky, I feel like everyone, you know, with uh, within the Bay Area and even people who are watching the news of what was happening here, um, the word apocalypse was thrown out a lot um, by by people inside the church and outside the church. Um, and so I wanted to kind of talk a little bit because last week's message was about the end times. And then on Wednesday, after that message about the end times, this happened. <laughs> so even in my own heart and mind, I was like, apocalypse, what's happening? <laughs> um, and so let's clarify some things right, right off the bat. Um, apocalypse, you know, the way that we use it today, modern usage in English, apocalypse generally means complete destruction, uh, the end of the world, end times event. But in the Greek, uh, which is really interesting because that's the biblical language of the New Testament, the, the word apocalypse, the root Greek meaning means to uncover or to reveal. So apocalypse in the Greek means to reveal. And that's where we get the, the word revelation. Like if you remember the last book of the Bible about the end times, all the prophecies, a lot of the imagery of destruction and judgment, it's called the revelation or the apocalypse, right? Um, so thinking about that word revelation, thinking about the word uncovering or revealing, my question for us just off the bat um, in relation to where we talked about last week, knowing that Jesus is coming again, what has this week, what has Wednesday, the orange skies, what has this month, this year, um, what, does it ha- what has it uncovered about your own faith? What has it revealed about who you are and what you believe? What has it uh, revealed about your uh, understanding of God? Um, And I actually skipped over a lot of the last three chapters for last week's sermons. There was so much, Um, but because of time, I had to cut some things out. But in those last three chapters, Jesus actually describes, he gives a little bit of a picture about what the end times will look like. Um, And basically, just you can look it up, Matthew uh, 20... 26. Uh, it will be a horrible and dreadful time. And no one's going to have time to like react and pack a nice go bag and just get out of there. People won't have time to do that. They'll have to abandon everything and just head for the hills and hide. Um, and people would rather wish that they had just died rather than submit themselves and be subject to the judgment of the end times. Um, but what's important about that, and the reason why I actually skipped over that description of the end times, um, is because Jesus in his teaching does not emphasize at all when the end times will occur or what it will look like. Instead, what Jesus emphasizes for all of his followers and his disciples back then who were listening to him speak, 
And for us today, as we're reading his word, what he urges his disciples is to keep watch, right? So just a review of last week's message. When is Jesus coming? Any day now. How should we live in the meantime? With hearts ready for Jesus, keeping watch. So what does it mean to keep watch? First is this, to put your faith in Jesus, right? To keep watch doesn't mean to be living in fear, stockpiling toilet paper or canned goods or spam. What it means is getting your heart ready for Jesus by putting, first of all, putting your faith in Jesus. Secondly, putting hypocrisy to death, meaning that you live a life of integrity. And then you put your talents to work to grow God's kingdom right now. And lastly, to put your money where your Savior is, meaning that you see Jesus in the least and in the lost. That's what it means to not be overly concerned about when Jesus is coming again, because you can never know. Not even the angels know when the end times will happen. Only the Father knows. So any day now, it is near. And when these skies turn orange, when there's pandemics and plagues, when the economy crashes, we are more aware of the nearness of Jesus' coming, but we still can't know. So how do we live? Not in fear, like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of the end times. But no, let's use that as motivation to get our hearts ready for Jesus, to make sure that we are have the right standing with Jesus, that our faith is found in Jesus, that there's no hypocrisy in our lives or in our church, and that we are growing God's kingdom with the way that we've been created, and to see Jesus where he is, with the oppressed, with the least, with the lost. And so, crazy that this, uh, I mean, I'm no longer surprised. I say this to a lot of people. I'm no longer surprised when, you know, God orchestrates things in our lives with his word and with circumstances and even globally what's happening. Um, I'm no longer surprised by God's sovereign hand of preparing us for what's happening next, right? So, um, I just want us to be, to be aware And this is the most practical way to view the end times, the apocalypse, not to overly focus on it or to ignore it, but to use it as a healthy motivation to love those who are least and those who are lost, because that is where we will find Jesus. All right. So with that, that's a very long recap of last week's message. Um, So Let's go into our text for today. It's found in Matthew 21 and 23. If you've been following along, you know that uh, we've been going backwards through Matthew's gospel. So we've gone through the resurrection commission, the passion and the cross and the death of Jesus. And we just went through Jesus's final teaching here. It's the Olivet Discourse, what we just talked about, the end times. Um, So today we will see the events one week before Jesus heads to the cross We're going to be in Palm Sunday, uh, where Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem as king. So with that, let's pray and commit this time to the Lord together. Let's pray. God, we are grateful, grateful, grateful for your protection and provision over our lives. But even more than that, we are secure in you. Even when uh, the skies and everything else point to devastation, destruction, just an overall aching for something more, God, we are just grateful that because our faith is in you, because Christ is our cornerstone, because God, you have made a way for us, we have nothing to fear because we know where we're going to be. 
We know that we're going to be with you if anything were to happen to us here on earth that doesn't change that. So I pray right now for our hearts to be open to your word, and I pray that, God, your spirit would fill us, God. Speak to us, God. We need to hear from you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So Matthew 21 and 22, we are actually going to focus focus on just the story of what's happening here. All right. So Matthew 21, we're going to pick up the story in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So here we're at Palm Sunday. We were going backwards. So this is one week before the events that led to Jesus's death and crucifixion and his resurrection. And so the Palm Sunday entrance is often called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. You can kind of make it out in the background there. You see Jesus riding a donkey, going into the holy city of Jerusalem and, um, all the crowds and all the people are surrounding him, worshiping him, welcoming him in, in triumph and in victory. But since we are starting at the end <laughs> and we're going backwards, we already know what happens, right? The crowds that welcome him here in this, in this, in this uh, triumphant entry, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he. Um, many of them will be the same ones that later shout out at, the, at him, crucify, crucify. So Jesus is welcomed here. He's welcomed here for a moment. But why did the crowds welcome him here and then switch and change to crucify, crucify? The reason is this. The people, the crowds here, had a wrong understanding of what Jesus came to do. They had a completely misunderstanding of why Jesus came. They didn't understand the purpose of Jesus' ministry. So, why, what, what, did they, what did they expect of Jesus? What did they expect him to do? The one thing that was common amongst the people when they thought about a Messiah or a savior figure for the people of Israel, they expected more of a nationalistic Messiah. And there's plenty of Old Testament prophecy and tradition that that led people and religious leaders to think this way. The people of Israel were like always oppressed by one nation after the other. And at this specific time, when Jesus was walking the earth, the oppressors of Israel were not Egyptians or Assyrians, but they were the Roman Empire, the greatest power in that known world. And so their interpretation, the people's interpretation of the the, the scriptures, the Torah, the, basically our Old Testament, the messianic prophecies that are found within those books, uh, were very focused on the independence of the, the nation and their own kingdom here. So, the people were expecting a a nationalistic, militaristic, messiah, savior, conquering, like, rebellion leader. They were expecting, like, a, to make a pop culture reference, they were expecting a a George Washington or a Alexander Hamilton or whatever it is. They were expecting one of those military, revolutionary leaders to break the chains and oppression off of their people, all right? 
But Jesus did not do anything that the crowds expected. So, what's really important here is Jerusalem, understanding that context. When they're welcoming, the crowds are welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. What what did uh, the crowds expect? They probably wanted Jesus to go into Jerusalem, which is the holy city, the base, the, the base of their religious culture, the center, most important holy place. The temple is there. It's the center of their religious identity and culture. Um, the crowds probably wanted Jesus to go there and, and rally the people with like a rousing speech. Uh, you can picture like a, a campaign rally of biblical proportions, right? And they wanted to, they probably expected Jesus to get uh, the, all of the people in Jerusalem united together, ready to, to fight up and, 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 and rise up against the, the oppressive Roman Empire. So they're welcoming in and, and, and he's, he's riding in and people are saying, yeah, we're ready to follow you. We're ready to fight. We're ready to, 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 to stick it to these Romans. But that's not what Jesus did. That's ex- it's not what Jesus did at all. Instead, once he entered Jerusalem, he went straight for the temple and he cleared the temple. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He clears this temple and empties out the money changers and the marketplace that were taking place inside of God's temple. So instead of Jesus going at the Romans, instead of Jesus like uh, causing a revolution and, and uh, uh an uprising against the, the militaristic Roman Empire, he went instead to the temple. He went for the religious leaders and the structures of the, his, of the Israelite people. In today's context, we would call this, he went straight for the church. He went straight for us. This is a huge lesson for us today. Why? This is a huge lesson for us today because it asks us to think, what Jesus are we worshiping? Are we worshiping a Jesus of our own design? Are we worshiping a Jesus of our own desires and our own culture and our own needs? Have we shaped a false God, false Messiah, and dressed it up with Christian words, dressed it up as Jesus? And I believe God is working in churches all across our country, prompting us to to actually take a step back and look inward to examine, to ask for God to uncover and reveal where, what kind of Jesus are we actually worshiping? Is it the Jesus revealed in God's word? Is it the Jesus revealed in the Bible, in the scriptures? Or is it a Jesus of our own making? Because if the Jesus we worship never rubs us the wrong way or never makes us feel uncomfortable with our sin, our selfishness, our own rebellion against God, then we have to actually check to make sure that what we are worshiping is not just ourselves and what we like, but we have to hold it up against Jesus's portrayal in the gospel, God's word. Because what we see here, Jesus exposed the injustice of the current religious system and structure. He exposed the corruption that that nickeled and dimed poorer, less fortunate worshipers as they tried to sacrifice 
and make their, make their sacrifices in the temple. It's so crazy. Instead of going up against the Romans, instead of going up and, and causing a, a revolution and fight against the people that were oppressing God's chosen people, the Israelites, instead he goes right to the heart of the Israelite culture, the temple, and he clears the, clears the courts, drives out all who were buying and selling, overturning the tables. It is, um, it's, a, it's a word that we have to take for ourselves today. What kind of Jesus are we worshiping? Do we find parts of what he says offensive to our lives? Or do we agree with every single thing, right? There should be moments of friction, of tension, where we are not aligned with what Jesus is calling us to do. And that is good. That means that we are reading the scriptures for what they are saying, okay? So going on from here, what's really important to know is after Jesus clears the temples, immediately he, he goes and heals the sick, the, the blind and the lame and those who are disabled came to him and he healed them. So he, he clears the temple out of, uh, uh, of all the, the corruption and, and the, the business that was taking place within the temple. But at the same time, he heals those within the temple courts that were sick and hurting and blind. He heals them. He heals them. And then afterwards, he's hungry. He's hungry and he looks at a tree. <laughs> he looks at a tree and the tree has no fruit and he curses the tree and the tree dies. It's kind of crazy, right? It's, it's a little bit random, but it's important to understand these two things in conjunction with what Jesus is doing here because he, he heals the blind and the, and the sick and then he curses the tree that is fruitless. What Jesus is doing here, in addition to clearing out the temple, he is displaying his authority and his power by these acts of healing and cursing a fruitless tree. It's, it's random, but it connects to the rest of the passage here. Um, so right after Jesus displays his authority in the temple by clearing it out, causing all this ruckus, he heals people and he curses a tree. The authorities question him. They question him. Uh, the, the, the opponents of Jesus, the religious leaders and Pharisees, they're like, what are you doing back here in the temple? What, by, by what authority are you doing all of this? Like, who gave you this authority? And what authority, uh, what authority do you have to do all of these things? Um, their question um, is pretty obvious. They ask, "What authority are you? By what authority are you clearing the temples and doing all these works?" They obviously want to expose Jesus as an agent of the devil. Their expected answer from Jesus is, "The devil. The devil gave me this authority." But Jesus doesn't play into their hands. And actually, what he does is um, he he points them back to John the Baptist, someone who was on Jesus's side, um, but still held a lot of sway with the, with the crowds. And so the opponents, when they're, they're presented with this, they're like, oh, they kind of back off and Jesus wins that exchange. But after that, Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He goes and tells three different parables that talk about who can actually enter the kingdom of God. The first is the parable of the two sons. The next is the parable of the tenants. And the last one is parable of the wedding banquet. We're going to go real quickly through all of this. Parable of the two sons is basically this. Jesus describes two sons. One says, Dad, I'm going to go work in the field, but he never goes. The second one says, Dad, I don't want to go into the field, but then he actually ends up going and does the work of the, 
like the, does the, the work. Um, Jesus says, which one of these is going to enter? The one who actually goes and does the work. And in verse 31, Jesus says to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Next parable, parable of the tenants. The parable of the tenants is a crazy, crazy parable. Basically, there's a landowner that has a lot of tenants that are tending to the farm, the vineyard. And, uh, the, the landowner sends servants to, to collect the, the, the fruit and the, the, la- the, the, the yield of the labor, um, but the tenants just destroy the servants that come. And finally, the, the landowner is like, I'm going to send my son. They're going to respect my son. So he sends his son, and the tenants, they're so evil. They take the son, they're like, let's kill him. And, and they kill him and uh, take all of his inheritance. Um, so they kill the son. And uh, the owner of the vineyard comes and he, he learns that they killed the son and he gets extremely mad. And, um, uh, and he, he goes to the, the tenants and he destroys them. And verse 43 says, Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Its fruit. Next parable. Parable of the wedding banquet. The idea of the wedding banquet is basically... There's a, there's a man throwing a banquet for his son who's getting married, uh, and he invites all of these people, but all the people who are invited, they just ignore, uh, ignore the invitation, and they kill the messengers, um, and this angers the man who's, the, the king who is throwing this banquet. So instead he says, no, I'm going to, uh, then he says to a certain verse eight, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now all of these three parables, I, d- I went through this real quickly for a reason, because they're all connected. They're all connected. Jesus was being questioned about his authority by his opponents. His opponents are saying, by whose authority are you doing all of this? And Jesus doesn't answer them, right? But instead he tells them these three parables of judgment against his opponents. Basically saying that you will not enter God's kingdom because you are against me. So who's in the kingdom? The ones who may reject God, but in time they come around and repent and do the work of God. Who's in the kingdom? The ones who produce fruit for the landowner, not the ones who kill his servants and his son. Who's in the kingdom? The ones who respond to God's invitation and come, not the ones who reject God's invitation. All of these things can be summed up in this. Jesus is talking to them very clearly through these parables. So clearly, in fact, that the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they understand that Jesus is talking to them. But it can be summed up in this. Who's in the kingdom? The ones who believe in Jesus, the Son sent by God. And who's out of the kingdom? The ones who reject and refuse and murder the sons of God. Right? So, the Son of God. not, Not sons, but the Son of God. So, right after this, the, Jesus' opponents are, are really mad. They're, they're, they, they know that Jesus is saying that they're rejected from God's kingdom. Now, how could, how could we be rejected? So they try to trap him with these three different questions, trying to trap them. So the three, the three trap questions that they're playing are this, paying taxes, 
marriage in the resurrection, and what is the greatest commandment? Um, so paying taxes, we see um, they're like, who, where should we pay taxes? They're trying to get the crowd to go against Jesus because, again, the Roman Empire. We're paying taxes to the Roman Empire. If they can get Jesus to admit that we need to submit to the Roman Empire, then the crowds will turn against him. But what does Jesus say? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And when he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. The next trap question they ask him is basically these people who did not believe in the resurrection were asking questions about the resurrection. And Jesus answers, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. All right. The last trap question Someone asked him, a teacher of the law asked him, and they asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so, <laughs> Jesus answers all of their trap questions. They're trying to make him trip up, but Jesus sees through all of it. He astonishes the crowds with his teaching. And even today, Jesus' answer to what is the greatest commandment, he, this is the greatest commandment for sure. It's an amazing, amazing teaching. But more than that, after these three questions are asked of Jesus, Jesus flips the tables. He turns the tables back on his questioners and says this, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? 46. No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And here is the lesson for us today. Jesus came by the authority of God the Father, and He is the Son of God, sent by God to invite people into God's kingdom, just like the parable of the wedding banquet. And He is the Son of God who was rejected by the religious leaders. They refused to enter the kingdom and did not produce fruit for the landowner but also that Jesus can stand against any form of inquiry or examination. And so, when we allow Jesus to examine our lives, when, when we allow that to happen, he when He turns the questions back onto us, we need to actually, you know, be prepared to watch out because Jesus will always, always win. So, in this apocalyptic year of 2020, as we're more aware of the nearness of God and the nearness of Jesus' second coming, we have to be surrendered to Christ. He comes to confront our own idols, even idols in the shape of Christianity. He comes to heal, but also to curse. He comes by the authority of God. He comes with an invitation to enter God's kingdom. So, are you in or are you out? 
Are you in the kingdom or are you out? Are you sure of your seat at the banquet? Have you, how have you treated Christ in your life with reverence, with hospitality, with surrender? Do you welcome him in, into your life and into your work and into your relationships? Do you allow him to speak truth to your, your sin and your rebellion? Has he turned over some of the tables and the money tables in your heart? Or are you out? Are you out? Maybe you made a promise to God many years. You said a prayer a long time ago, but it really hasn't changed the way that you think, hasn't changed the way that you live, hasn't changed the way that you treat other people. You might hear God's word, but then that's just nice. That's over here. It's compartmentalized over there. And you just put it there and ignore it. And you just go about and do your business. Or you might think of Jesus as an obstacle just like the, the tenants in the parable, they see the Son of God as an obstacle to their own wealth creation. Sorry, I turned Siri on right now. Just a moment. Oh, no. Okay, okay stop. Okay, <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. The tenants in the parable, they kill the Son of God. They see the Son of God as an obstacle. No. They see the Son of God as an obstacle to their own worldly wealth. And so the question before us today is, are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? Because before you can point this text to other people or point it to our, you know, global situation, we have to apply this text to yourself first. Before you point it to your enemies, to the people that you disagree with, to the opposition, you have to point it to yourself first. Are you in or are you out? Do you do the work of God? Do you produce fruit? Do you welcome Jesus into your life? Do you hear the invitation and respond by going? Or are you out? Or are you out? So ask it of yourself. And I pray, I pray that all of us will hold each other hold each other in, try to welcome each other and make sure that we stay in. All right. So that is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time, for this time where we can be um, reminded that God, right now, right now, we have a choice to make, a choice to follow after you, a choice to say yes to you and the invitation that you've given to us, God. So help us to examine what kind of Jesus are we worshiping. Help us to read the scriptures faithfully so that, God, we will be more sure of who Jesus actually is, not just an idol of our own creation, our own design. But, God, we want to worship you for who you are. So, God, we say yes to you. We say yes to you so that, God, we know that we will not be afraid of whatever is going to happen. We won't be afraid of the apocalypse because we're already in the kingdom. So, God, fill us with that faith. Fill us with that assurance. Help us to know and be assured that, God, when we say yes to you, that we will be in the kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.